Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We're with you for the next hour and a half here today uh, as we will bow out early for Cougar basketball. That's coming your way at 1230. But Taylor, we're in that portion of the sports calendar, especially here in Seattle, where we're still trying to dissect how the Seahawks season ended, but we're still a little bit of ways to go for Mariner season starting. And I think there are people out there that just want the calendar to fast forward to March 18th when free agency opens. It's so crazy to think that we're still a month away, essentially, from that date because there has been plenty of hand-wringing in the month since the Seahawks elimination. And it, it, I mean, I don't think there was as much this week but the conversation surrounding them is still one of, I think, frustration from people, frustration of them continuing to fall short in the divisional round or, or earlier, the wild card round in the playoffs. But we still got a ways to go before free agency gets here. Where do you assess the Seahawks a month out from free agency before they you know, can spend the money that is going to be okayed by the NFL? We learned what the salary cap for is going to be. Where do you assess them at this point in their offseason? Yeah, I mean, this is the point in the offseason where they, they need to take some of, so, care of some of that in-house stuff, right? Um, specifically Jamal Adams and getting a deal done with him and – you know, trying to backload some of that money so that you have a little bit more cap space in the the next couple years to, to really make some signings and some additions there. But you gotta you gotta get some of those people you know are coming back. And look, they already paid the dues to get Jamal Adams, so to not re-sign him would be maybe more costly than to actually just sign him to the the average or the the top market deal that he deserves. So. And look, I, I want Jamal Adams here. He's the next generation of Seahawks defensive star. And not that I think Bobby's going anywhere or that his star is getting any less bright, but just after watching Jamal Adams and seeing what he can do, he looks like a different player on that football field, on a field full of different-looking human beings. Like, he stands out even with all those all those defensive studs. So, uh, yeah. For me, start taking care of that that in-house signings, and when we get to that free agency mark here in a couple of weeks, then you have a better picture of what you need to do in that period before the draft and, and what the draft will will truly look like for the Seahawks this year. But what do you think, Curtis? Is there any side that they should be more worried about of the ball? Should they be focused really solely on offense only? Should they be adding more on defense too? What do you, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think the majority of the conversation over the last month or so has been on the offensive side of the ball, and we'll get into it later today, uh, especially in this first hour of Seattle Sports Saturday, about which side of the ball should the Seahawks actually be prioritizing, because as we know, the conversation has been on pass protection, and it has been on you know whether or not Russell Wilson is at most at fault for the sacks that he has taken in his career, or whether that's the offensive line. Um 
that shouldn't distract you from the issues on the defensive side of the ball that the Seahawks have had. Uh, you know, guys like Jamal Adams, uh, they've got their deals coming up. Um, you know, trying to make this defensive group as best as they can make it. Um, but I would say right now that is the side of the ball that is still the most concerning to me because you look at the Seahawks, even with their issues, even with you know their pass protection not being what it was and their offense just hitting the skids in the season's second half, the defense was not anywhere near the top half of the league throughout the entirety of the season. Now, the pass rush, that fixed itself at the end of the season, especially with the addition of Carlos Dunlap. But pass rush is only one aspect of a defense, and we'll get into uh, later today uh, just what areas of the defense the Seahawks should be taking care of here in free agency and in the draft. Plenty of question marks, obviously, with Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, those two guys. You don't know if they're going to come back. Also, some big cap hits with guys like Bobby Wagner, Jaron Reed, uh, KJ Wright's a free agent. So many question marks on the defense. Um, so that's something we'll be looking out for. That's coming up in about 10 minutes or so here on Seattle Sports Saturday. But before we get into that, let's get into today's big three. Number one. Well, quiet week here in the Northwest as far as sports news goes, but for a bunch of the younger generation, it was a big week as high school football returned to the state of Washington. 27 games took place yesterday, so shout out to all those schools and those kids and those programs who got to get on the field, play some of the games. They've been doing it as safe as possible to keep everyone and their families you know, COVID free. So that's the goal here and to protect all the all the uh, future athletes from, from any sort of future harm. So some quick score updates. Graham Kapowson shutting out Bellarmine Prep by a score of 27-0. Sumner dismantled Curtis. No, not our Curtis. The high school Curtis, 53-6. to And Lakes defeated Bonnie Lake by a score of 34-6. to And in high school hoops news, O'Day's five-star Duke signee Paolo Bonchero is one of 21 players from Washington nominated for the prestigious McDonald's All-American Game and one of five finalists for the Naismith Trophy. So a lot of great high school action here, you know, in limited capacity, but still some great news to see for all the young athletes here in Washington State. Number two. Well, in Arizona, the Mariners have reported for spring training. Well, pitchers and catchers have two of the best words in the English language. And one of those pitchers, a familiar face, somebody that Mariners fans have grown to love over the last decade or so. That'd be James Paxton returning to Seattle on a one-year deal worth about $8 million up front. And he can earn up to $10 million based on other incentives in that contract. Now, the Big Maple comes over from the Yankees organization where he spent the last two years dealing with injuries but was also effective when he was healthy for the Yanks. Uh, In his reintroductory press conference, Paxton said he feels healthy again and is excited about the young talent in Seattle's organization. Kind of reminds me a lot of the Taiwan Walker move a year ago, and could that be Paxton's future with the Mariners as maybe a trade chip come July 31st when the trade deadline hits? Who knows? Uh, You know, lefties that throw 100 miles an hour, they are in high demand always, especially starting pitchers. Now, as for the entire team, the full squad, 
Workouts will begin on February 23rd down in Peoria, and their Cactus League schedule will start on Sunday, February 28th against the Colorado Rockies. Baseball will be here before you know it. Number three. Oscar De Silva scored 18 points, and Jaden Dallaire added 15 points as the Stanford Cardinal thumped the Washington Huskies 79-61 on Thursday night for their fourth win in five games. Washington currently at 4-17 on the year, lost their sixth game in seven tries and let pretty much all the reserves play the final 11 minutes after falling behind 62-36. So ugly stuff still there on Montlake for the basketball program. But for the Cougs, some bright spots as Noah Williams scored a career-high 32 points with four three-pointers, nine rebounds, and a career-high seven assists. As Wazoo pounded Cal 82-51 Thursday night, Cougs' largest margin of victory in the history of their series with Cal. So pretty cool to have a record-setting night there for the Cougs. Both teams swapping opponents today. Cougs, like Curtis mentioned, will follow us at 12.30 pregame, 1 o'clock tip-off. And the Dogs will tip off their game tonight at 7 p.m. So some Pac-12 action here in the state. But, Curtis, the uh, the Huskies still looking lost. Oh, yeah. They are brutal right now. 4-17, and 3-13, like you pointed out there. Uh, they're just playing out the string. They We did get the news this week that the Pac-12 tournament will be played. Um, but it's only going to be 11 teams, obviously, with Arizona sitting the postseason out. Um, so maybe that's a good thing for Washington, that they're not going to have to play, you know, maybe a, an Arizona team in the first round. But they're still not going to be faring very well in Vegas. Uh, I think Mike Hopkins and those guys are ready for the season to be over. I don't know if Hopkins returns next season. Um, you know, that $12.5 million buyout speaks pretty large. But what is there down the pipeline that's got you feeling good about this program? And really, there isn't anything right now. Uh, maybe the rest of the Pac-12 kind of comes back to the pack, so to speak. But it is going to be uh, another another season full of questions, I think, next year for Hopkins, whose seat might be among the hottest in the, in the country right now. Um, some honorable mentions... Taylor, DK Metcalf now being represented by Tory Dandy of CAA Sports. He made that move yesterday. Obviously, he's got a big extension in mind after the 2021 season when he can begin to renegotiate his contract. We looked uh, yesterday, uh, Stacy Ross, Jake Heaps, and, and myself yesterday at, at some of the big-name uh, wide receivers in the, in the league and, and the price tags that they're commanding. I would be shocked if DK asked for anything less than twenty million, which that is a lot of money to give to one wide Ooh. receiver. But he's he's young and he is incredible at what he does. Yeah, and Curtis, look, that's the average number, right? And for a lot of these contracts, they are backloaded. I mean, if you look in a couple of years for the Seahawks, I think the one of the highest paid players is Michael Dixon hunter because there's only a few people under contract other than Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner making like the, that sort of gigantic type contract money. So look, I don't think they're letting DK go anywhere 
Uh, he's a fan favorite. I think he's going to be a league star. He's going to be one of those players. Kids around the country are going to buy his jersey. They're going to try and emulate what he does and be like DK. So um, I'm happy he's here. But, boy, that $20 million is going to be a, a quite a penny to pay. And John and Peter are going to have to get real creative in how they deal with that. Absolutely. And then uh, a Seattle legend makes his debut with his newest organization, that'd be Felix Hernandez. With the Baltimore Orioles, he looks so out of place in the color orange. He looked weird in Braves colors, but that looks more normal than him in Baltimore Orioles colors. I don't like it. I don't like it. And it just feels so weird and such a, like... It it shouldn't have ended like this. It I, I just I hate the way Felix and this whole thing is playing out, and he deserved better than this sort of ending, which is just unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Uh, hopefully, he can make their roster because I believe the Orioles visit Seattle really quick uh, in the twenty twenty one season. I think it's about the it's I think it's like the second home stand of the year that they are here in Seattle. So. Uh, who knows if, if fans will be allowed back in T-Mobile Park by then, but uh, it'd be cool to see Felix tow the mound at the place that he called home for so long. Um, but coming up in this hour, we're going to take a look at what the Seahawks plan to do in the draft, if they're going to sit tight with their four picks or maybe make some moves to get a bigger haul. But coming up next, what's the bigger issue facing the Seahawks right now? Is it the offense or is it the defense? We talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturday with you here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Taylor, there's been so much talk about Seattle's offense over the last couple weeks, obviously spurred on by Russell Wilson's comments about pass protection and the, you know, the firing of, of Brian Schottenheimer, bringing in Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator, you know, the philosophical differences in air quotes there. But have those conversations maybe distracted from the biggest problem on the Seahawks right now? And is it on the defensive side of the ball? When you look at how the Seahawks season played out a year ago, they they definitely flipped a switch midway through the season that made their defense, I'm not going to say great, but it made them palatable. Do you think what we saw at the end of the season last year is enough to give you confidence going forward, or is the defensive side of the ball still the biggest issue with the Seahawks this offseason? To me, the end of the season gave me confidence going forward, Curtis, and one of the reasons why is we forget and we overlook the no preseason quite a bit last year and that those games didn't exist. And those first four games, especially for a guy like Jamal Adams, look, he was on the Ben Baller podcast a couple weeks ago and he talked about how like, look, the scheme is the same, but like I had to understand what the calls were. He's like, Ken Norton was making the calls 
I had to learn the terminology, the verbiage. I needed to know, you know, if I'm a little bit over, if I'm skewing onto this side of the hash or, or if I'm cheating onto the inside of the hash. And there were all these sort of little things that it took for a guy like Jamal Adams to sort of learn. And then, not to mention, they got Carlos Dunlap, who also helped change this defense and what it really looked like. So for me, some of those pieces who are still going to be here, most likely Dunlap's going to be here unless something crazy happens. Again, Jamal Adams most likely going to be here and re-signed unless something crazy happens. So some of those people who were really big performers last season and at the end of the season, and look, we know Jamal got hurt and he couldn't even lift his arm on that one Cooper Cup play, but he was still making plays around the field and you wonder if he was 100% healthy what that would have looked like again. So to me... The defense did their job at the end of the year, and they looked great rolling into the end of their playing time. So to me, I'm not having a lot of worries about the defense. For me, it's still rightfully so, like the conversation has been about the offense. But what do you think, Curtis? Did the defense do enough at the end to convince you that they're good? Or or are you thinking... Man, with those four draft picks looming and some of these contracts and Shaquille Griffin that, uh, you know, the defense has some holes that they still need to fill. I think the defense can stand to improve. I think that there are some obvious holes on that side of the ball that are going to need addressing this offseason, and it starts with the cornerback play. Um, Shaquille Griffin last year had some moments, but... Do I think that he is a number one cornerback in this league? Is he somebody that you can put on the other team's best receiver and have confidence that he's going to shut him down game after game after game? I don't think so. I don't think he is that kind of of cornerback. And I think the Seahawks can stand to improve at that position. The problem being they don't have the capital in the draft right now to make a big move. They don't have a whole lot of cap space. They did get a nice uh, a nice little surprise from the NFL moving the salary cap floor to 180 cuz that makes them have at this moment in time about 9 million dollars to work with rather than 4 or 5 million dollars cuz I think they're projected to have about 171 million dollars uh in in contracts on the books already. So maybe there's enough there to to go out and get somebody, but to me that is the side or that is the position group on the defensive side of the ball that I am most concerned with this off season. And it looked like they had solved it last year by getting Quentin Dunbar, the number two graded corner in terms of Pro Football Focus's uh, grading system. You bring in Jamal Adams, Qu- Quandre Diggs has been you know one of the most solid players on the Seahawks ever since they acquired him from Detroit. But as it turns out, you know, that group barely played together because of so many injuries. And then Shaquille Griffin in and out of the lineup, Quandre Diggs in and out of the lineup. I mean, just so much, uh, uh, you know, so crazy to see how the group we thought was going to be maybe the strongest on the team turned out to be one of the biggest uh you know, one of the biggest hangups. And I, I think to me, that is where the Seahawks should spend a lot of time this offseason figuring it out. Yeah, and I, I just pulled up here all of the contracts. And the one thing that really surprised me, Curtis, and I don't think we were talking about this and with all the Russell Wilson chatter, but Dwayne Brown making $10 million base salary next season. Like, 
I know Russell has those complaints, but man, like you got a guy at left tackle making that type of money again, and you have a, a quarterback making that type of money, and you have a, a couple of people on the other side of the ball making that type of money. It's it limits you. You like you mentioned, Curtis, the one seventy one number with that leaves you about fourteen point four to make some of these moves, and then only four draft picks. So it's going to have to get real creative here, and they're going to have to really start to turn on some of these things. And we're going to talk about it in the next segment about what they can do about only having four draft picks. But to me, it, it just seems like they're still so limited in some of the things they can do and address right now. And some of this team, let me rephrase a majority of this 12 win team that you saw last season will be back and playing for this Seahawks team because like it or not, they can't really afford to go elsewhere and get too crazy uh, with some of the additions Unless you start talking about trading guys like Tyler Lockett and things like that, then you open up a whole nother conversation. Oh yeah, if they do go that route and, and move on from some of the household names here, I mean that that would send an, a huge message to the entire league saying like, "Whoa, hey, uh, are things all right there in Seattle? I don't I don't quite yeah. know what's uh, what's up with that." But Taylor, I, I want to know too, especially over the last few weeks. It seems as though Pete Carroll is more preoccupied with how the offense is clicking and how Shane Waldron fits in here and how Russell Wilson and, and the offense and, and just, you know, we want to run the ball more. He said that at some point, but then you bring in Shane Waldron. It seems to me like Pete might be more preoccupied with the offense at this moment, but the defense, you know, even though you may feel comfortable about it going forward. Still, you know, there are some big question marks. Why do you think Pete is more preoccupied with the offensive side of the ball when he is billed as this defensive guru? I think it's exactly that, Curtis. I think that he is the defensive guru. So to him in his mind, whether the fans agree with it or not, he has the defense on lock. He's got the the scheme, the ideas, the execution. He knows what he needs in place there more than on the offensive side. His background was in defense for his whole entire NF, not his whole entire uh, football career, <laughs> going back to when he actually played. So, to me, it's just like anything else, right? He knows where his weakness is, and it's the offense, right? So you need to have the right guy there making the play calls. You need to have the right pieces there. You need to be a little bit more hands-on in fixing those things because he has that faith in himself on the defensive end. It's like someone who plays guitar and sings, but they're not that good at playing guitar, but they're a great singer. They're not going to get vocal lessons. They're going to go out and get guitar lessons, and they're going to focus on that end, and they're going to work on their guitar more. And they won't focus as hard on singing because they know they got that on lock, right? That's similar to Pete. He's got that singing on lock on the defense. But it's the guitar playing on the offense that he needs to get right before he can be this rock star again. Yeah, and there are more songs than just Wonderwall to play. When, <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Wonderwall. Oh, man. Coming up in this hour uh, still, what should the Mariners be doing now to make sure that they're ready to compete next year or even the year after that? We get into that conversation in about 15 minutes. But up next, 
Can the Seahawks get by with only four draft picks in the 2021 draft, or are they going to need to be making some moves in order to refill that stash? That's coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you know the Seahawks over the last decade, you know that come draft day, they love to have a bevy of picks in their back pocket. They love to be able to wheel and deal their way through the draft. I believe eight is the fewest draft picks they have made in a single draft under Pete Carroll and John Schneider. And and Taylor, four? Decidedly not eight. Uh, I can safely say that. It is a... It is not a good look right now for the Seahawks to only have four draft picks in their pocket heading into this uh, most important draft. I mean, if you're if you're going to fix these O line issues that uh, seem to be flaring up, you know, in these conversations, if you're going to fix that secondary, if you're going to fix, you know, all the the glaring holes right now, what about the running back position? You know, no Chris Carson, maybe. Uh, do you think they sit tight with four, with just four draft picks, or is there going to have to be moves made in order for them to uh, replenish this this uh, this well that is, has dried up? Yeah, I think they're going to have to make moves, Curtis. And uh, look, there's only two things you can deal: players or future draft picks. And I'll start with the future draft picks. It's easier to talk about uh, because we've seen teams in the division do it, right? And to me, the Rams, yes, they've gotten rid of some of those first-round draft picks, but to them, they're close. So at the end of the first round, you know, what is the difference between pick 30 and pick the, in, the, in the second round, at the beginning of the second round? To them, not that big. So for the Seahawks, I think you've got to start thinking about some of those future picks and some of that, and it's going to be a first, right? That's the biggest number that's going to draw interest. I don't think unless they deal a player, someone like Tyler Lockett, I don't think they can get any sort of sniff at the first round this year. I, I think it's just off the table, and that's fine. But you, if you're thinking about getting into the second, you know, above 55 where you draft, it might take another a future first or something along those lines to, to get there. Yeah, I, I think one of the most likely scenarios I look at in terms of where the Seahawks stand in the draft, their first pick is at pick 56 in the second round. If they can find one of those teams remaining in the second round, that's basically between picks 57 and 64 that want to move up into that 56 slot because they see somebody out there that they want to you know draft I think that is a very reasonable way for the Seahawks to get back maybe a pick or two you know move up seven spots to pick 56 pick at 63 and then you know, maybe you get an extra fourth rounder and, and like an extra sixth rounder. There you go. All of a sudden, you go from four picks to six picks, um, which is a little more doable for, you know, all of the holes that the Seahawks have right now. I kind of look at that scenario as, as maybe one where the Seahawks don't have to, uh, you know, dip into their roster and, and trade a difference maker in order to get some picks. Now, if they did do, if they did do that, um, you mentioned Tyler Lockett being the guy who probably can get you the most in return. 
I think Bobby Wagner is another guy who can get you a lot in return, but he's not the Bobby Wagner of 2015, 2016 anymore. He is, you know, a, a much more veteran player. Uh, he is still a, a great player. He had some incredible games this last season, but I I don't know if he's the best middle linebacker in football anymore, especially with like how we saw Levante David play for the Bucks in the playoffs. I mean, that guy was incredible. Is there anybody else besides Wagner and Lockett that you see on the Seahawks roster that could potentially land them some other draft picks uh, besides the ones they already have? The answer, uh, to me, I don't see it. And look, I'm not a GM. I look at this roster, obviously, from the same perspective as anyone else outside of the front office. But to me, that's that's one of the issues here, Curtis, is that there isn't a lot of that capital and... Look, you mentioned what what's Bobby's value on the open market. It's probably less than his true value to this team, right? And would trading Bobby and his leadership be worth the couple draft picks you get and the risk you run of those players not hitting? Because, again, the draft is not a sure thing, right? You could have six draft picks. You could have four draft picks. You could have 14 draft picks. Who knows if you're going to hit on one, two, all you know what I mean like those are really tough questions and we know what it looks like when they succeed in the draft here in Seattle and when they do hit and we know what it looks like when they don't we've we've seen the both ends of the spectrum so and especially with this draft being so uncertain right that so much of this is going to be relying on previous hype not a lot of good game footage from this film Pro day information that could be skewed, no combine, so you can't have people sort of jump up or jump down, which sort of ha- that's how people fall, right? A bunch of players start jumping up in front of people and players start to fall to your into your position. So it, it just feels like they're really stuck right now and that you're right, it might just be a little deal in that second round to move back a few picks and then take the lineman in the second round and add a couple other, you know, trial pieces and get a couple cheap veteran players to potentially add to the mix. And, and that's to be honest, Curtis, I think that's as, as exciting as it's going to get for the Seahawks this off season. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe going the boring route is, is a, is a good thing for the Seahawks at this point. I mean, I think the Seahawks are a worse off team if they do deal Tyler Lockett or Bobby Wagner. I think that those are two moves that would not sit well with, I I know dealing Tyler Lockett would not sit well with Russell Wilson as somebody who uh, is looking for as much help as possible on the offensive side of the ball and Metcalf and Lockett, you know, two of the best receivers in the NFL at what they do. Um, you know, that's a, an incredible wide receiver group that they have going for themselves. I don't think Russ would enjoy the possibility of having to find somebody else to throw to, especially because the Seahawks have not had a lot of success finding a number three option to throw to. Now you would have to find another number two guy. Um, that's a tough, that's a tall ask, especially in an offseason with so much uncertainty. Maybe they go the free agent route in, in trying to find that, that wide receiver. I think that's why free agency 
for this Seahawks team might be more important this year than the draft because of how few picks they have. Uh, maybe you restructure guys. Maybe you ask Russell Wilson to uh, you know, move some of his bonus money around. Maybe you ask Bobby Wagner uh, to make some deferred payments or, or, or to take some deferred payments, I should say, and uh, get the Jamal Adams deal done as well. Um, free up some cap space. We've seen other teams do it. The Packers did it with David Bakhtiari. They freed up about $8 million. Uh, the Panthers have been doing that over the last couple of days. They freed up about $28 million in cap space. Drew Brees restructured his deal before he retires, so now the Saints can, uh, I think they have like $24 million extra in cap space. So that, I think, is going to be the most feasible way for the Seahawks to fill a lot of the spaces that we're seeing on this roster right now is not through the draft so much, but definitely through free agency. Yeah, and look, if you could have that $7 million back last season from Greg Olson, you know, who else would they have signed? Or that $7 million's a big number. I th- Shaq Barrett was around that number, correct, Curtis? He was around that for his signing somewhere in that range? Yeah. So, yeah, look, you, yeah, I was just going to say, players like Shaq and, and and what that $7 million can get you on the market is a good player and could be a difference maker and could be the difference from 12 wins to 13 wins, and that takes you to the number one seed. That takes you to home field when the 12s are back. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a lot different when the fans are in that stadium there, Lumen Field. Those those offenses and the defense gets that juice, man. It just is such a different game when the fans are there. So you're right. It, the big moves will be free agent moves and will hopefully come from some deferred payments from players helping move and shift money around. They do it all the time. Teams do it where they shift it into bonuses, things like that. It's going to have to get creative. And John Schneider and his team in the front office are really going to have to think this one through on how to get uh, a better roster for next season. Some good texts coming into the Busy Hard Seltzer text line, 710-710. This one from the 253. They say, by trading Bobby, you not only get draft picks, but also about $20 million in cap relief. Time to flip this roster from linebacker heavy to trench heavy cap-wise. And uh, you know, it is a, a route they could go in, in building up that defensive line. I know that was a key staple of the early Pete Carroll, John Schneider teams here in Seattle, where the defensive line had guys like Chris Clemens and Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Tony McDaniel, uh, you know, just so many guys on that defensive line that were interchangeable. Red Bryant, another guy like that. Um, maybe it is time for the Seahawks to to get a lot of depth on that D-line, something that came at the end of the 2020 season but wasn't definitely was not there at the beginning of the year yeah and gosh it's just like the more i look at this curtis the more i I just get confused frustrated It, it what are what can they do and also, what should they do? Because, again, as much as we dive into this stuff, they won 12 games. They were so close. Look, a bad Giants loss, and this team wins 13 games with all of the flaws. Like To do that in the NFL at any point is such an accomplishment. And do you want to change a roster that is successful like that? And how much do you actually want to tinker and... It just gets 
you start to spiral and all these questions, then you get back to, well, they do need to tinker because they're going to lose a couple guys and they're going to lose Griffin. And it's like, well, but can they found Griffin? Can they get another Griffin? And this is why we have a show, Curtis. We talk these things out with the fans and great text again coming in. And we'd love to hear from you. 710, 710. Should they be moving guys like Bobby or Tyler? Should it just be those little deals? What do you think is the best route for this Seahawks team to take that next step forward? Because there are a lot of options, but a lot of limited options, if that makes sense. So text in 710-710, Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line, and let us know. Let us know. Uh, we got a quick one here on Seattle Sports Saturday today. We're with you until 1230. So we've got plenty still to get to before we bow out for Cougar basketball. In the next hour, we'll get you a big three as well as our shout outs. But before we do that, this Mariners team, they are in camp as of this last week. So what should they be doing now to make sure that this ship heads on the right track for 2021, 2022, and beyond. That's coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. In the category of things you love to see, Mitch Hanniger smoking BP pitches on a backfield in Peoria, Arizona, especially after the last year and a half that he has had. That's what you love to see, and there's video of it right now on on Twitter. Right, and uh, Taylor Mitch Haniger has had a long road over the last year and a half to get back to this point, and he's not the only Mariner that is is looking for a bounce back this season, and also the Mariners themselves trying to get back to uh, a winning culture, and they have definitely made some moves over the last few years that have have sort of got this ball rolling towards that and I want to know what what can they do now in order to keep this thing going forward heading into next season and the season after that and just make this what we're seeing down in San Diego now with the Padres or uh, what we've seen with the Astros what do you think right now is something that they can absolutely control in that forward momentum The first thing is don't make a dumb buy, especially right now, that you don't need to be that active in the market. You know, we've talked about it the past couple of weeks, how quiet it's been. That's great. I'm, I'm loving how quiet it is because this is the season you start to look around the league and say, okay, what are the pieces we are going to truly have around our young core, right? When the Kelnicks when the Julios, when those guys are up at the next level, who are the other pieces around them and how can you get them in place? But not, it's still too early right now because who knows what the people in the minors are going to do and how much time in, in the bigs they'll get this season. So next season is truly the first time. So next off season is when I want to see one of those players – come to Seattle that I know will be there for the run and don't do it early. No need to don't buy in this off season. Don't buy at the trade deadline that moving some of these pieces, trading some of these assets that you can move right now. Now is the time to start thinking about those types of deals and, and keeping that checkbook in your pocket 
until next year and then and the the year pro, uh, the year following that uh, pardon me um because those are the years you're really going to take that um r- real step into content- contention what do you think Curtis I like what you had to say about them not making a big splash right now because I would say the two biggest splashes over the last decade plus that the Mariners have made in terms of a trade would be the Eric Bedard trade, which, as we all know, one of the worst trades in Mariners history. Uh, Yeah, losing out on Adam Jones and the decade plus he spent in Baltimore would have been nice to have a young center fielder, a marketable guy like him, instead of what Eric Bedard was. And then I think the other one was the Cliff Lee trade before the 2010 season, which the pieces that the Mariners lost in that trade did not come back to bite them. Uh, those three guys, uh, I believe it was like Philippe Omont, Tyson Gillies, and somebody else, none of them ever became anything at the major league level. But those moves were made, I think, when they were the Mariners were in similar times that they are in right now, where it's like, yeah, this team could be competitive. And then it's like, what about going from competitive to competing for a wild card? And it's like, that's that's a, that's good, I guess, to compete for the playoffs. But you don't want to compete for the wild card year in and year out. You want to compete for division titles and for home field advantage in the playoffs and a World Series. Playing in the wild card round is, you know, that's playing with fire because it's, it's win or go home. It's a one-game playoff, and that is just that is dangerous to to sort of flirt with. I want this Mariners team to be division winners and to not have to worry about, you know, rolling, rolling the dice like that. And if you're going to make those kinds of moves, I think next year after what we've seen from Jared Kelnick this year and, and Logan Gilbert, two guys who I expect will be up with the team at least during the midway part of the season, maybe even before that, I would hope they're up there before that. Um, but to me, I think you nailed it right there that they don't need to make a big splash right now in order for this thing to keep going the way it's going. And holding, you know, like in Braveheart, the hold, holding doesn't mean treading water in this situation or not getting better, but it gives you more of a strategic advantage and how they can analyze the rest of the league and some of these free agents who will be coming up after this um, 2021 season. So, and again, I haven't looked closely enough at some of the big names, but I'm assuming there's going to be an ace or a a top flight pitcher who's available. I'm assuming there's going to be a couple big name position players. So finding out what you have in the minors this year and looking and analyzing all of that. And then next year, understanding where the remaining holes are and being aggressive then, but don't do anything right now. There is no need for it, especially when you look around at the other rosters in major league baseball, some of them are terrifying and there's no way this team can compete with some of them in, in a series, right? Maybe in a one-off shoot, like in a wild card, you get a team, you can catch them on a bad day. Maybe, but, as far as winning a series against some of these big teams, I just don't see it. So keep those cards close to your chest, hold, and just wait for the right moment to strike. Now, when you look at some of the pieces on the roster right now, we mentioned Mitch Hanniger at the top of this segment. 
We've got James Paxton in town as well. Two veteran players, two guys who have had varying levels of of trade value throughout their careers. The first James Paxton trade the Mariners made, one of the better ones they've made in, in their franchise's history, getting Justice Sheffield, who I would say right now in his major league career is a better pitcher than James Paxton. Paxton could be on the move again. Mitch Hanniger could be on the move again. Are those the two most obvious guys that could get moved at some point in this season if things, I would say, break right for the Mariners? Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't want to see Marco Gonzalez leave, but look, if there's a team that wants another arm and can go out and afford him and you can, again, get some big pieces there, it might be worth considering, and it's it's a bummer to say he's such an awesome player. He's so great. Gonzaga, local the local ties he has. But if someone were to come out and, and want something for him, you know, he was born in 92, so he still has a few years left. But he might be someone to, cons- to consider as well. And again, it, it might not ruin, but it might not make for a pretty end of the season. But those are the types of deals, like you said, Curtis, thinking about the Hanegers. And look, Kyle Seeger might have been mentioned every year for the past three years in these conversations as well. So he might, we might as well just throw him in there just to keep for consistency. Um, but there's a couple, a couple older players on this Mariners roster who, again, could be on the move come deadline time for some competitors who are looking to add some of these back end sort of pieces. It wouldn't be a Mariners conversation if you didn't bring up Kyle Seeger's name in trade talks. That's yep. just nope. <laughs> tales all this time. That's just how it goes around here. We're true to the blue and we're true to the brand, Curtis. So that's just how we do it. Yeah. That is how we do it, just like Montel Jordan. Uh, Coming up in the next hour, we get you a big three before we get you our shout-outs as well. Cougar basketball coming your way at 1230, so we'll be done right before then. Still plenty to get to here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour here, we just finish that conversation on the Mariners and, and potential trade pieces that they have now that James Pax and Mitch Hanniger are looking like they're going to be ready to go for the 2021 season. 360 on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line brings up a good uh, a good possibility as well. Tom Murphy, he could be trade bait as well. I think that's somebody that we kind of forget about because he didn't play last year. Uh, dealing with that foot injury that kept him out of the abbreviated 60-game season, I think, though, if Murphy does get dealt, he's going to have to replicate almost to the T his 2019 season, which was kind of an outlier over the course of his career, but maybe that was uh, a turning point for him. Taylor, what do you think about Tom Murphy's name being in, mentioned in trade talks? Uh, yeah, Curtis, I love the rationale and the, and the thought process that went into that. The player, you might not get the value you think you might for him. Again, like you mentioned, Curtis, coming off the injury having to almost replicate that production he was putting up beforehand, which was, I mean, great production. So if you can, I mean, yes, that's those are the types of positions and moves that this team should be making, right? You know Cal Raleigh's coming. You got a, a, an older-type veteran-ish catcher and a young backup catcher, too, 
could either of those be dealt with the anticipation of Cal Raleigh coming up and being the guy when he arrives? That's how you got to start thinking, right? And moving some of those pieces in front of the young pieces in AAA and in the minors to clear those roster spots and to keep that farm system flooded with talent and keep those young players coming up and coming up. And that's how you sustain sustain success. Tongue twister. Sorry about that. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Uh, But, yeah, I think the Mariners right now, uh, they are in a good spot in terms of of guys that could potentially be on the move. Who knows if, if there are going to be other guys that may emerge at some point this season. Uh, maybe somebody in the bullpen steps forward. And, you know, last year we saw Austin Nola, who I don't think many people had, had pinpointed as somebody that could get traded. Uh, you know, maybe there's somebody like that waiting in the wings here uh, in order to take that step forward and become somebody that lands you, uh, you know, an incredible haul like they got for Austin Nola a year ago where they got, I think, four prospects back for him. Uh, definitely did not see that coming at all. But, um, you know, maybe there's somebody like that. But uh, still, we're, we only got a little bit of time left here on Seattle Sports Saturday, so let's not waste any more of it. Let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, if your name is Michael Bradley, you had a busy week because Philadelphia Eagles were active in the NFL as they agreed to trade their quarterback, Carson Wentz, to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round draft pick and a conditional 2022 second-round pick that could turn into a first pending some things according to leaked sources there. So the Eagles will receive the 85th overall pick in this year's draft. The conditional second rounder can become that first on the playing time again. So um, the other news, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson being released by the Eagles. The team announced yesterday the Eagles acquired the 34-year-old from the Bucks in 2019, reuniting him with the team that drafted him back in 2008. So a nice long career for Deshaun Jackson. Who knows what's next for him, but I know you'll be able to hear from it in the El Hombre section on Wyman and Bob next week. Number two. Well, hard to find anyone who has had a better week than Padres star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. The 22-year-old, a much richer man than most after signing a 14-year, $340 million deal on Wednesday night, taking care of some of those arbitration years as well as setting him up for basically becoming a career San Diego Padre. His contract makes him the third highest paid player in Major League Baseball history in terms of total money on a contract uh, behind just Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, two guys who have signed those long-term extensions in the last couple of years. San Diego now with over $800 million committed to their infield alone over the next decade. Of course, you've got Manny Machado's monster deal that he signed two seasons ago. He's playing third base. And Eric Hosmer, three seasons ago, signing a deal well over $100 million to. Now, Tatis still has not played a full season's worth of games in his career, but just looking at those numbers, nearly 40 career home runs and 140 games played. He's already one of the faces of baseball. I think this is a pretty sound investment for the Padres. Number three. Well, big night in the NBA with Joel Embiid on the Philadelphia 76ers dropping a career-high 50 points with 17 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 4 blocks 
with just two turnovers in 35 minutes in a win over the Chicago Bulls last night. And Denver, they had their star Jamal Murray score a regular season career high 50 points. And he became the first player in NBA history to get that many points without trying a single free throw attempt. So Denver beating the the Cleveland Cavaliers 120-103 last night behind that Murray performance. So the standings, pretty similar to what we've been talking about the past few weeks. In the East, you have the 76ers and Nets sitting in the 1-2 spots, followed by the Bucks, Celtics, Pacers, Raptors, Knicks, and Hornets. So a little weird ending to the Eastern standings there with the Knicks and the Hornets in as of today. In the West, again, the Jazz still having their hot season in front of the Lakers and Clippers there in the West. But don't look now. Blazers, currently your number four seed in the West as they're followed by the Suns, Spurs, Nuggets, and Warriors. So a lot of NBA action, and uh, who knows if the All-Star game is going to happen. Still a lot of pushback from players, and Adam Silver says it starts with the fans. That's why they're doing it, yet probably won't have fans there at the the game, so Mm. it's kind of confusing. And I still think that the All-Star game shouldn't happen. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Kind of hard to make it for the fans if fans won't be allowed in. I'm trying to understand that logic. Very bizarre stuff. Uh, But, Taylor, you mentioned the Blazers there. Damian Lillard, he's going nuts right now. Uh, Firmly within the MVP conversation with Joel Embiid and LeBron James. Uh, and doing it without C.J. McCollum's help, too, who's been out with that uh, wrist injury. So uh, shout-out to Dame Lillard. I think of of all Blazers players throughout the history of that organization, I would say Sonics fans and Seattle sports fans have the most respect for him because of that shot he obviously made that just ended any hope of OKC's title shot for at least probably six or seven more seasons. Yeah, I mean, he blew up the franchise with that shot. So I think he jumped B-Roy. You know, B-Roy probably being now number two, but I think he'll take that title behind a Dame Lillard. But uh, And we'll always still wonder what B-Roy could have been if those knee muscles would have just held on a couple more years and what, what we could have got out of him. So, uh, But, man, Dame, wow. Yeah, you're right. And an injured C.J. McCollum not there. And you got guys like Carmelo Anthony, putting up solid minutes and putting up solid numbers for the Blazers team. And look, I'm a Sonics fan in my heart. I can't actively ever root for the Blazers, but I won't root against what they're doing right now. There we go. I like that. Now, you and I, we were talking about this before the show off the air, looking at it on social media. If you're not up to speed with what's going on this weekend in the NHL, I highly suggest you do so because I think the the weekend series that's going on in Lake Tahoe has just started about 10 minutes ago. Uh, you've got the Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Colorado Avalanche today, and then tomorrow it's the Boston Bruins against the Philadelphia Flyers. But just looking at some of these pictures from the rink that was built on the shores of Lake Tahoe, I don't think there has been a more picturesque venue in sports history. It is absurd how cool this looks. And the just the uh, contrast of the rink and then the the woods and then the mountains like you have this 
you know, Bob Ross painting of a backdrop in a hockey uh, in a hockey weekend or a couple of games play, being played. And I'm just, we were talking about where would they even do something that picturesque in Washington. So if you know, text in seven ten seven ten, so we can start to petition the league to have uh, the game there because boy, it's going to be tough to top this Tahoe setting for some time because wow, it, it looks like honestly a background you would have programmed on a computer like it's that beautiful <laughs> yeah it is it is just gorgeous some of the sites uh that they've been just uh you know taking pictures of over the last couple of days setting up the rink and now we actually get to see these teams playing out there uh i can't wait for the nhl to get here especially in this portion of the sports calendar uh being able to talk the kraken and just everything about that team and, and just oh i can't wait for that next year um and then also naomi osaka who is quickly becoming a household name in tennis winning her fourth uh, Grand Slam title, uh, her second Australian Open, uh, and doing it in dominant fashion. And then the, I don't know if it was necessarily a changing of the guard or maybe a passing of the torch the other night, but her match against Serena Williams, uh, you've got maybe the greatest tennis player of all time against one of the biggest phenoms the sport has ever seen. Uh, just an incredible moment there uh, this last week. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to what the conversation around Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Serena's still going to be winning. I hate to break it to the uh, the women's tennis world, but she's still just as good as she was. And now they have Naomi. She's the young phenom there. She's the Mahomes of their tennis. So it's great. And um, look, it's it's fantastic to watch people at the top of their game play each other so that rivalry will help that sport so much and not not that it's struggling or anything but it will just help take it to another level of competition and and exposure and i can't wait to see you know where naomi and, and serena push women's tennis after this yeah it's gonna be just incredible to watch how this game how how it grows and, and just it's in great hands if Serena Williams does decide to hang up her racket anytime soon. Uh shout out to Naomi Osaka for just stacking titles all over again. Uh but coming up next before we send you to Cougar basketball, we get you our shout outs for the week. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday. Text yours in to the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line seven ten seven ten. That's next year on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is that time here on Seattle Sports Saturday. We do it every single weekend. It's time for shout outs. Your shout outs, our shout outs right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Taylor, it's been. Uh, I, I don't know if necessarily it's been a slow week, but it's definitely been a week where uh, you kind of survey the sports landscape more so outside of, of uh, I guess, here in Seattle because of just everything that's going on out there. But uh, I don't know. It, it's been a, a wild week. You had a, an interesting thing happen in, in your life this week, uh, early on in the week. Uh, if you if you want to share that with with our audience, because I think that is what what happened to you, incredibly worthy of a shout out. Are you talking about when I volunteered? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so uh, I was lucky enough to volunteer at, at the COVID clinic at Seattle University and just what an opportunity to, to help people get the vaccine that wanted it, that seeing families break down crying, getting the second vaccine, knowing that they're protected or they're more protected than they were. Um, it's emotional, right? And then families haven't hugged each other in over a year, some over a year, some haven't seen each other. There have been babies born and they haven't seen their grandparents or some of their family members. And you, you got to see some of those things. And, and I, you know, I was just a guy in an orange vest helping people get up the hill and find the directions and, you know, to anyone out there who can volunteer and has the opportunity in any sort of sense, not just with with COVID and the vaccines being rolled out, but, you know, we, Curtis and I talk about the Special Olympics all the time. Such a great um, organization. There's so many ways for you if you can. And I understand not everyone can to afford their time to give up some of their time to volunteer. But if you can, it's just such a refreshing thing for your soul the people that you will impact will greatly appreciate the work that you're doing and, and the time that you're giving. So again, I understand there are some people out there working multiple jobs. I've been there. I've, I've worked 80 hour weeks in my life before. So I, I know not everyone has the time, but if you do, I, I just implore you to, to research ways you can help in your community. And that's uh that's basically, I just want to shout out all the volunteers, not myself, but shout out all the volunteers. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, that's my shout out for this week is, is you and all those volunteers there, uh, just helping, you know, streamline that process that, uh, you know, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks has not been, uh, you know, as smooth as it can possibly be. Um, so shout out to you, shout out to everybody who is, is helping out in, in making this, uh, you know, possible for so many, uh, especially because I think, we're all very much ready to get back to, I guess, normalcy or whatever normalcy can be uh, right now, you know, in, in the world. So uh, just shout out to all, all the, the workers and all the, the frontline workers, especially because it has just been, uh, you know, so incredible to see people, uh, you know, being able to, you know, join together again and, uh, you know, hug relatives that they haven't seen in so long. So that that's my shout out uh, this week as as well, Taylor. It's to you and, and all the other uh, volunteers out there. Three six zero shouting out rain or they say Rainbow and I shout out you too. Uh, you make Saturday work maintenance on the truck day enjoyable. I uh, love you guys. Stay stay safe. Shout out to the three six zero. Stay safe as well. Uh, yeah, everybody out there, stay safe. Yeah, and another quick shout-out here to mention uh, Giovanni Hamilton. I know you guys mentioned and played his clips during the week. The Philadelphia Eagles fan, the young Philadelphia Eagles fan, with a sort of heartbreaking goodbye to Carson Wentz and you know, being upset that his favorite player is on the move. And I know if you're a sports fan and you grew up a sports fan and you were a sports fan as a kid, there are moments that made you emotional and sad and confused. And I remember... When Gary Payton got traded, I I couldn't understand how you could trade Gary Payton and and what, even though they got Ray Allen, but I couldn't understand at the time how this was possible. So, 
it tore me up then. Uh, I know there's young fans on all sports teams when they lose some of their favorite players. It tears them up. So to the young fans, the shout-outs, they're the ones that really keep this game going. They're, they inject the love and the caring that makes sports special. So to the, all the young fans who support their players and their teams, the shout-out is for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every kid has that memory of, of your favorite player getting dealt and you know not knowing how to, uh, I guess, properly uh, accept the news. I remember where I was as a kid uh, when the news happened that King Griffey Jr. had been traded. I was on the bus ride home. Uh, the bus driver got over the intercom and you know, it was never good news when the bus driver had to do that to everybody on the bus, and especially so in that moment. Uh, man, I think that would have been eight-year-old me not having it that day. Uh, so, you know, as you get older, you kind of forget those moments as a kid. And, you know, your favorite players are your favorite players for a reason because they you know play on your team a lot. And you don't really realize that, oh, they can be traded whenever. Um you know, that's that childlike joy you get from sports. And sometimes, uh, you know, sports can be, you know, uh, hurt, they can hurt, but that's what makes them so uh, enjoyable as well is because you experience the high highs and you also get the low lows, but the high highs make it all worth it. Yeah. Text coming from the 206 here. Uh, I'd like to send a shout out to all the amazing doctors and nurses at the Seattle Veterans Hospital. Great shout out. Again, yeah, another organization that sort of gets overlooked by some because you may not have vets uh, or any sort of relatives who have served. Um, but uh, another organization and entity that needs help constantly and deserves help and, and deserves our attention and our volunteer hours and our, our dollars and what veterans do for this country. Um, it, we can't put it into words. So yes, what a lovely shout out. We appreciate it. Thank you again. Keep them coming in. 710-710, the positivity. We love ending the show on a positive note and talking about positive experiences, things we've seen you know, through our lens, through our eyes, and through your eyes as well. Um, so we're thankful to you. Also, the listeners, listening on a Saturday during a slow news, sports yeah. news week. You could be doing anything. Time is so precious, and, and you spent some of it here with us on this Saturday. So I know on behalf of Curtis and myself and Mr. Matt Nelson on the board, we're both very th- or we're all very thankful um, for everyone tuning in and listening and being a part of this Seattle sports community because it's, in my opinion, I, I never want to leave here because of how great the fans are and what a sports community we have. Yeah, it's it's an incredible bond uh, that the the fans and the team share here. Uh, I I want to shout out as well uh, baseball getting back into our lives because oh yes those it, it helps pass the time uh, especially in those summer months and last year when we missed what was it about two thirds of the season those summer months went by very slowly and uh, shout out to everybody in baseball that is making it possible for a full season to happen. I know that is an incredible undertaking, Uh, you know, 162 games plus spring training, plus the playoffs. I mean, that is, that is a ton of work that's going to go into each and every day, Uh, a ton of resources to be spent uh, by, by the league and by, uh, you know, cities and teams and all that. Um, Just shout out to you guys who are, are, 
just now diving into this season. I know we work very closely with the Mariners here being their flagship station. Um, there's going to be a lot of people in that organization that are, are going to be undertaking a lot this season. And uh, just want to shout them out and know that they are, are definitely uh, you know at the forefront of our minds as, as, these, as this season gets underway here soon. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to games there. You know, we used to call it Club Safeco on a Friday night. You know, everyone meeting up there in the pen and having a good time and watching some baseball on summer nights, the roof open, the crack of the bat, the smell of the grass. You know, Dave Niehaus's voice still echoing through the entire stadium. So I, I love baseball. I love being at games. And I can't, like you said, Curtis, I can't thank the people enough who helped get them through last year and into this year and hopefully help us get back into the the stadium so we can see these games in person and cheer and support our teams back where we should be in the stands and and right there next to them. That is going to do it for us here today on Seattle Sports Saturday. Shout out to you guys for tuning in. We will be back with you next Saturday from 11 to 1 right here on 710. So for Taylor Jacobs, I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday.